Hey everyone, thanks for coming and hanging out with us. Today, I'm joined by On, and we're going to talk about mental health. But first, let's grab our drinks. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. So, mental health is something we've both um, been pretty passionate about, and mm -hmm. I think, despite all of its problems, um, our university does try and, like, the students at a university do have a supportive community around it and, like, a f relatively open conversation. But I'd love to hear what your experiences have been. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're right. Um, at Waterloo, I think we are doing better than most universities would be in terms of mental health. And a lot of that is thanks to the people who are currently advocating or have advocated in the past to get more mental health resources. Um, MAIDS is a program that started recently at Waterloo, which um, is essentially a peer support network where students can get trained by professionals on how to provide peer support and students can access the service the same way they would access counseling services, so they have all the confidentiality and they can deal with a lot of the day-to-day -day mental health issues that students run into. So talking about stressing out classes or dealing with your first failure, where a lot of these issues you do need support, you do need someone to help you but they don't necessarily need to be a counselor. Someone, a student who's trained can often be as helpful or even more helpful because they know what it's like. Yeah. And that's recently been expanded to the engineering pro, the engineering faculty with their opening of their third office. And um, the president recently formed the uh, PAC-SMH, which is the President's Advisory Committee on Student Mental Health. I think that was also huge to show that how committed they were to learning more about student mental health and developing more towards that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's great to hear that, that the university is doing a lot uh, for that, mm -hmm. I think like I want. I'm hoping we can talk a bit more personally about yeah. you know our, our views and our experiences. But I do think peer support is so important, oh, right? For sure. Yeah. Like you definitely don't always. It's always useful to see therapy and and have professional help. I just saw my therapist today actually, and it's always helpful, no matter what we talk mm -hmm. about. But peer support is so huge as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's it's honestly a full cycle, like. You do need, some people do need therapy and that's a very valid, helpful thing for people, but it doesn't just stop there. If you're only visiting your therapist and your, your community isn't supporting, you don't feel welcomed in the places you work and live, it doesn't, it doesn't really work. It has to be a, a community and society effort. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And so I think, you know, the thing that, you know, upsets me the most about this is still the stigma, right? Like yeah. it's so huge. And I mean, I'm comfortable to casually say, you know, I see therapy now, mm -hmm. but it took me a long time to get that level of comfort. And I've, I've typically been a more generally comfortable with myself person as well. Um, you know, how, how is it that we can try and like reduce the stigma a bit more? Mm -hmm. That's actually really interesting because you, you'll find people who are open about themselves, open about any part of their identity and happy to talk about it. But then when it comes to therapy, they'll, they'll, they'll keep quiet because they don't, want, they don't want people to make assumptions about that. I think a huge part is having more people talk about it because if you hear someone that you look up to or someone you think of as an equal, casually talking about it in passing or in a common space, it, it makes you feel better about the fact that you've also done that because mm. they're willing to put themselves out there. They've taken that first step. And another huge part of it, I think, starts even at the elementary and high school level is having classes or having not even full classes, but some section dedicated to talking to mental health. Because if we start, uh, if we start off the youth on the path of knowing that this is, this is stuff that happens, this is, therapy is a normal thing people get, no, no part of this is taboo or makes you somehow less of, less of a person. I think we can grow a society that nurtures and supports that. Yeah, I think, I think that's really valid. And what, you know, what I think of and what I've struggled with, you know, more lately is around 
how, how capable I am, right? So mm -hmm. that's like, you know, when I first started seeing counseling, I was a student leader and I didn't want people to view me poorly. Um, mm -hmm. And even now, like, you know, I don't want people to think I can't do my job because I see therapy. Mm -hmm. But I've started to think about it more and I actually think sometimes I am less capable, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, if I have a physical ailment, I'm sometimes less capable to do my job. Mm -hmm. But there's still this idea, you know, that I have and I, I see reflected generally of if it's a mental uh, mental illness, if it's a, if it's a mental problem, then it's not okay for it to impact your job, right? I was fighting very hard for it to not impact me and like it's just a thing I have, it doesn't make me a worse employee. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. But I think sometimes it does, yeah. right? Like the same way if I'm, if I have to go to the hospital for a physical illness, it'll make me less productive that week potentially. Yeah, because you're in the hospital. Like if Greg comes down with a cold one day, you don't come back three weeks later being like, oh, Greg had a cold one time, he's not, not so great, we gotta take it easy on him or he can't deliver because it affected you at one point and there should be no different. That, yeah. that analogy should be a lot more clear between physical and mental. Yeah, well, and I think that's like, I, I love analogies and I feel like we need to get to a point where, you know, you can have, right now it still seems like either you have mental cancer or nothing. There's yeah. no like mental bruise. There's no mental broken bone that you can like have to deal with. You nurture, you get better, and then you're, you're okay. You can mm. reset. There's still this conflation of like, if you have anything, you have everything. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is because we're not used to talking about it. People have a bad day, they don't really want to tell you what it's about, or they, if they have a, a, a mental bruise, as you call that, I think is a great way. People don't really tell you about it, they just they try to hide it, and because it's so stigmatized, that we really only hear about it when it gets to that stage, when you need a crisis, when like a massive response is needed. Mm -hmm. Because at every step we've been hiding it, and at one point it blew up, and that's when you hear about it, yeah. you know? Oh, and I think I, I wrote a piece after Anthony Bourdain's suicide that, mm -hmm. you know, it was kind of just raw emotion that I was putting out there. But I really feel like we can't accept that nothing could have been done. At some point, something could have been oh, done, yeah. is my belief, right? You know, if, if, if people were getting murdered at the rate they're killing themselves, we'd be hugely alarmed, right? Like, it would be absolutely... Like, I have friends who casually will say, like, oh, yeah, this person we went to high school with killed themselves. And it's like, if they were murdered... That would be a huge thing. It yeah. would be a huge thing. It, it, you don't use this casual tone, mm -hmm. right? But, like, there's this sense of, you know... Oh, one thing that really upsets me is when they say, like, oh, they're at peace now, mm -hmm. right? Which it's, like, I... That makes, you know, other people who might be struggling think... That, that's the way out. That's the way out. Oh, wow. Like, I'm not at peace, but they killed themselves. Now they're at peace. I didn't actually think of that. You're right. That is a very harmful tone that we do say because, well, it's nice. And I think we'd say because it makes us feel more comfortable about the incident. It's a very not nice thing to think about. And to think that some good came out of it or there is some silver lining it makes people feel comfortable. But you're right. Often finding silver lining is more harmful than just not finding it. Yeah. Acknowledging the ugly truth for what it is and trying to make change rather than trying to put a pretty bow on it and trying to make it more tolerable for people. But it's such a complex issue, like where, where should we start? Like we're trying to do everything, but like where should we actually start? Like if we had to try and do a multi-criteria decision matrix? I think it's a, the million dollar question. If I knew, I'd probably be running for office somewhere. Yeah. Um, it, it's tough. And I think for me, I'm not in any political position of power, so I don't really have much say on where to start. But for me, what I can do is look at my own circle of influence, look at the people who either look up to me or my equals, the people that I look up to, 
and try to make mental health a normal thing. We can do things, especially in universities, when there is a large community you can influence, doing things like the mental health blog, doing um, events like Let's Talk Mental Health, where you have people just putting out the truth without any silver linings or pretty bows. This is, this is what my mental health is. Making it normal for people to hear have those conversations. And I don't think I'm going to change the world by the people I talk about, or even the blog that I once managed. But for one or two people, that's that's how I influence, and that's my way of giving back to the big problem. Yeah, and that's what that's what I've tried to do as well. Is like, you know, when I first went to counseling, I wrote an article for the school newspaper about mm -hmm. it because, you know, if one person reads that and feels comfortable and they're helped, that's huge, and it, and it mm -hmm. kind of, you know, spreads from there. Because mm -hmm. I I think you know what ideally we can get to. I I, I do think social media has played a pro like a a problematic role in this as well because well, there's sure. this need to just always be happy always be on and it's like you have to kind of validate with your friends now that it feels like you have to validate with your friends that you're it's okay to be sad with them mm -hmm. right because you know it's a lot more surface level relationships mm -hmm. often um, especially if it's through social media and I remember talking with one of my friends, like they called me to, we were talking and I happened to be in a really bad mood that day. Mm -hmm. And I was just honest about how I was feeling. I was feeling horrible. And then they were like concerned for the next like month. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I appreciate their concern, but they just caught me on a bad day. And they're one of the people I can actually be honest with. Yeah. So I told them how miserable I was feeling. Mm -hmm. Right. Which to them, they never feel that way. They, they don't get into those depths. Right. And so it was like, they were worried about me forever, mm -hmm. right? And it's like, it's trying to strike that balance of like, letting them know that you trust them so you can be honest with them, but also, also that it's temporary, to, yeah, right? Not taking it out of proportion. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of that, I don't know the exact situation, but it would be is they're not used to hearing that. They're used to seeing all their friends always be good or always be cheerful. And now suddenly that this is their one friend isn't saying that they assume that it's mental health cancer they don't just assume that you're having a bad day or you're having yeah. a bad week or month or this is a temporary thing that you are trying to fix and maybe have fixed by the point they're still worried about yeah. you and the, and i mean like the main thing to like get over not that you get over it but to like any specific anxiety episode or whatever is to just let yourself feel it the more you try and fight it that it's not okay to be feeling that way mm -hmm. the deeper it gets right and so there's something to be said to just like accept it and let it flow right so when I, I try and be very open with my friends about it and like if they're struggling I just say like I'm sorry you're going through that I'm here for you but I don't try and so many people try and solve the problem right yeah. like it's like oh don't feel anxious like you have Fix so many right good, up. you yeah. have so many good things like yeah. I know that right like reminding me of it just makes it worse potentially mm -hmm. right because people beat themselves up over like, I know I have it good, but I'm still depressed, right? Yeah. And I think that's, that's a huge thing is a lot of people will try to solve the problem. And I look back at the people that I've helped or people who've helped me and they've never given me a solution because I don't need one. I know what I need to do. I just, in the moment, don't want to do it or I'm my emotions aren't allowing me to accept that fact. Just being there, being attentive and being empathic, I think is huge. And none of them could solve my problem because I can't solve my problem. And it's... Yeah. There's no problem, really, that there's no solution that I can't have. They're not going to say one magical line and I'm like, wow, I'm not depressed anymore. Look at that. Yeah. One, one thing I, I want to bring up, because I always, like, I think about politics a lot, yeah. um, is I think that the, the social justice prevailing narrative is actually also contributing to mental health problems. Because 
what I found, you know, I was lying in my journals because, you know, I was so worried about thinking something that was potentially, you know, sexist or racist or prejudiced, right? Because you're not even, you're supposed to judge yourself very harshly for even having the thoughts, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, people have uh, what they're called like invasive thoughts, right? Thoughts just come into some people's heads and I have a, I have a very overanxious brain. And I found that I was judging myself very harshly for having the thoughts I wasn't supposed to have, mm -hmm. right? Because I was like a bad person, right? Whereas like, I don't believe these things, but my brain just thinks a lot of things, mm -hmm. right? I think a, a really good analogy a friend once told me, because this is something that I struggled with a lot, especially with the upbringing that I had or the, the, the scenarios I was brought up with is the, often the first thought you have in a scenario is what society has taught you or what your moral, your values that you were brought up with have taught you. But if you find yourself correcting yourself often or immediately catching yourself, be like, no, that's not what I believe. That's your true self. That's what you really believe. So if you, if you were brought up in a, in a racist household, for an example, or if you were brought up with ideals that promote racism and you find yourself thinking those thoughts, but immediately catch yourself, be like, no, that's not true. That's just what society has taught me to believe. That, I find, isn't, you shouldn't beat yourself up about that because your true self caught you before that thought became anything and you mm -hmm. acknowledge that it was wrong. There's no real use of beating yourself up and trying to make yourself not think that because it's going to come up. What you do about it once it comes up is, is huge. Yeah, but that's why there's this, there's like the, this movement around like implicit bias training mm -hmm. and trying to prevent those thoughts from coming up at all, which has... From what I, I don't have any of the facts and stats with yeah. me, but from what I've read, excuse me, it can actually have a tendency to do the opposite. Because, like, just, like, don't think about the elephant. You think about the elephant, right? And that's kind yeah, of, yeah. that's what I've found has been happening is, like, let, let's use race for an example. The more that people are talking about how bad racism is, the more other people are talking about racism and they're, like, highlighting the racists to prove how bad it is but that's just feeding more people racism right more people are seeing that racism and it's just an inherent thought that i've consumed because every time someone's racist it's being spread mm -hmm. right and so it's just spreading that instead of ignoring the racists and everyone just knowing racism is bad and racists are stupid yeah i think that's it's a very complex issue because yeah. at one it's point, a little off topic. I, I, fair, <laughs> but I, yeah, I apologize. I just think like because there is some value in ignoring it and not aiding spread the message because you're right, it'll influence people poorly. But there's also kind of we've seen in the past what happens when you try to ignore racists as they're rising to power. It ends up hurting a lot of people. Yeah. So you, it's a fine balance of wanting to shut it down, wanting to teach people it's negative. But also like not wanting to spread their message to everyone and like broadcast it because at that point are you really fighting it or are you just teaching people their message? Are you yeah right? So well, and that's like the the very interesting thing around like giving someone a platform or not, and like mm -hmm. that's a very I don't even know how I think about that, but that was different right, issue. Yeah, different issue. Sorry, <laughs> I, like for me it just kind of I remember very much when I was in like the depths of a depression. That was a very something I thought about a lot so it kind of just came came to mind mm -hmm. um, but yeah so do you have any anything that just comes to any last thoughts on on mental health for, for the moment I think a huge one is I was a don for six terms so two years at university and I I've definitely had my own mental health issues struggles as I think every university student has if someone tells me they've gone through university or especially engineering and they've come out unscathed I'd I think they're some kind of superhero mm -hmm. I, I it'd be amazing to me to see someone like that because 
you're put in a scenario where it's tough and you, everyone's trying wants you to succeed but it's a very like pressured scenario and I just that helps kind of propagate the cracks and break through a lot of the walls that you thought you had built up but when I was at Don I really got to see how you can help people because when I first took the position I didn't really have any formal training on what do you do when someone has a panic attack or what do you do if your first year tells you they're suicidal and that put me in a lot of scenarios that where I had to deal with that. And I think the hugest thing is a lot of the people that I ended up helping with when they were having a panic attack, when they're depressed, when they did have these is, is yes, suggesting resources and sorry, and telling them where they could get more help if they needed it, but also acknowledging that it's their option. They don't they don't need you to force them there. If you if you drag them to counseling or if you force them to take this resource, they actually might have a negative effect because you made them do it. Yeah. And a lot of the times when I have had like solved the problem, or I hate saying solve the problem, I've helped yeah. them reach, uh, come to internal peace is either by just being there and being empathic and echoing a lot of what they were feeling and validating it, or suggesting the resources and leaving it up to them to reach out to them. And me offering to walk them there, to sit them through the sessions if they need it, helping them book it, or even booking it for them, just telling them what time to show up, like giving them all the resources to do it, but making sure it's their choice. because. Yeah. If you drag them there, they're probably not going to get it. Because yeah. it is it is very much a personal thing. A therapist isn't going to give you a magic sentence and it's going to fix everything, yeah. you know? I think I think that's such a hugely important point, right? Like, it has to be their decision. Yeah. You can't make someone fix, fix the problem, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why getting rid of the stigma is, is the most important. Oh, for sure. Because we have to just make it acceptable for people to go. I remember... The, the first time I went to counseling, immediately after I felt worse because I had all of my own anxieties around the fact that I had mental health issues, yeah. right? And it was, it was so a, counterintuitive. Yeah, right? it was like hugely problematic for mm-hmm. me until I got like validation from my sister that like she didn't view me any differently. So I was like, oh, like I'm the same person, right? Like, but there's so, so many stigmas around it still. And it, mm-hmm. it really... It's the scariest thing. I One of the scariest things I've ever experienced was going to see counseling the first time. Mm-hmm. And I think that story just goes to show how important society is for that because once you got that external validation, once you had someone telling you, no, this is actually fine, it helps a lot. And it, one it person, lot, yeah, right? one person. One person that you trust, and that's that's all it takes, really. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming and hanging thanks out. Thanks for having me. Talking about this. And thank you for hanging out, too. I'd love to hear your thoughts on mental health and anything else in that vein. Tune in next time and subscribe on YouTube.